if you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, He Will Be Great. He will be great. I didn't have to really come up with anything creative. It's hard to beat what the Scriptures say about Jesus Himself, isn't it? And again, if you're taking notes this morning, I've divided th- uh, the section into four uh, subsections that we'll look at this morning. First, the miracle. Then, the Messiah. So, the miracle, the Messiah, the ministers, and the marvel. The, uh, the miracle, the Messiah, the ministers, and the marvel. You know, this is a story that people have heard many, many times. Even, in, even unsaved people have probably heard some of this if they're at Rockefeller Center or things like that. They've, they've read this all over the world. But I think the magnitude probably has escaped many, many people in just what we have recorded here. Uh, first of all, it's not that often that an angel appears to you. Never happened to me. I doubt it's happened to many of you. Um, but this is something that not only happened to Mary, as you hear last week, the same angel Gabriel came to Zacharias. And of course, that, uh, that uh, encounter took place there in the holy place. But we look first at this miracle of uh, several proportions. The miracle that will ultimately take place in Mary is, the ep- it is kind of the, uh, the epicenter of the miracle here. And this was first announced in a message among a couple of other miracles. The first, of course, being the angel visiting her in the first place. And Mary, to our knowledge, had not ever seen the miraculous appearance of an angel. So that alone would be troubling, and that alone would be something of the supernatural realm. But beyond just that miracle, just the fact that she has an angel standing in her midst, there's more that she's going to hear that will be miraculous and somewhat troubling as well. Not only miraculous. Now, back in the 26th, uh, or in the, um, back in uh, verse 25 there, uh, we know that uh, Elizabeth herself also received a miracle. She was a woman of old age. So the same angel Gabriel that told Zacharias, your wife is going to receive a child from the Holy Spirit, that in and of itself was a great miracle. But Mary's is going to be even greater than that. I mean, it's, it's one thing for someone of significant age uh, to be with child, and that is a miracle. But again, Mary's is going to even take a higher precedent than that. We have this miraculous news, and it's not just miraculous news, it's also prophetic. Because even though the Scriptures had foretold these things, the angel is recertifying all former prophecies and saying these things not only will take place, that Mary, you got to remember, Mary's a little Jewish girl. Well, not at this point. She's a young Jewish woman, but she had been, her life grew up in a Jewish household. She would have heard many of these prophecies, and they looked forward to the coming of the one who would liberate and deliver Israel. Correct? 
She would have known these things. She would have looked forward to even someone who didn't seem to be all that highly religious. Remember the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? She even said that when the Christ has come, he'll tell us all things. So she was well aware, and she was not the most religious person. She had, as Jesus pointed out, uh, quite a checkered life, right? So, but Mary, who was uh, clearly someone who was walking in the Lord, much like Zacharias Elizabeth, faithful to the Lord, doing her best to be faithful to God, she would have known some of the things that Gabriel was about to mention, but she would never thought that they were actually going to be done through her. You know, the miracles that God is going to do are oftentimes going to be done through you and I, though we would never, ever expect it, would we? Oh, it's going to be somebody else. It's got to be somebody else. God wouldn't possibly do some miracle through us. We're just a couple of people. We're just a tiny church. We're just a few. Folks, in the Scriptures, almost all the miracles happen to the tiny, the small, the couple fish, the couple loaves, the blind beggar, the leper, the Gideon who thought, You've, you can't possibly have the right commander. I know nothing about military. Moses, yeah, I'm a sh- I, I'm, Lord, I'm 80. I'm a sheep herder. And yet here we have again one of these miracles in the Bible that take place with the most unsuspecting of person. And certainly Mary was not suspecting this in any way, shape, or form. You know, it's also interesting that Gabriel miraculously appears to Zacharias, but he appears in the beauty of the holy place, doesn't he? The temple. The gorgeous temple. Now that's a place you expect to find an angel to show up. In the holy place, the incense was going up. If one was going to show up, that would make sense. But Mary, we don't know where she is, and it certainly is not in the holy place. She has no ability to go in there. She's not a priest. But the angel shows up to her wherever she is. You know, wherever God shows up becomes a holy place. Amen? Anywhere God shows up becomes holy. Any place God wants to show up will be holy, and anyone he wants to use can be used for his glory. But what God comes to her through this uh, angel Gabriel, it says in verse 26, the angel Gabriel sent by God. Isn't that cool? Even, even that little thing. This angel is not just, this angel has specific orders sent by God. I want you to go to Mary. Why Mary? Her name in Hebrew, Miriam. I want you to go to her. Okay? And what do you want me to tell her? She's going to have my son. You know, that must have blown even Gabriel away a little bit, you know? It's, it's finally come. Even the angels, they look into the spiritual realm. There's things that the, the Scriptures tell us that the angels desire to look into. They're like, this, oh, it's about to all go down. I don't know if they talk that way, angels, but, uh, but they realize, they were well aware of the prophecies. They know that this will kickstart, you talk about accelerating the prophetic timeline, this gets it all rolling. A lot of dominoes will fall as soon as Jesus enters the world, amen? 
and will continue. But this is a moment that all of heaven was looking forward to. The next great one is his second return. Amen? The second coming the angels are looking forward to. They got some trumpets to blow. They're looking forward to the second return. But Gabriel now realizes that not only is Jesus coming, but he has the special privilege of announcing it to the woman that will carry the Savior. And so he sends Gabriel, and uh, Mary, of course, has to be of the household lineage of David, verse 27, uh, her, whose name, to a uh, virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the household of David. Uh, of the lineage of Mary is also listed in Luke. We'll get to uh, later. Uh, that's in chapter, what is it, uh, over in chapter 3. And uh, when we get to that, yeah, chapter 3, she also is of the household of David, both Joseph and Mary, both of the house and lineage of David. But he comes to her and he says, uh, Mary, rejoice, highly favored one. Highly favored one. What this really means is one receiving much grace. One receiving grace. Grace is given. Grace is imparted to you. By the way, all of us, if we're saved, we receive much grace. So God could say the same, highly favored one. You're favored not because of anything good you've done, but because God extends grace. Mary done nothing worthy of this. And matter of fact, when she hears the news, she's probably thinking, what did I do to deserve this? Because this was going to be a difficult task as well as a blessed task. And many of the things, matter of fact, maybe almost all the things God gives us uh, that have great weight and significance are both a blessing and difficult. The Hemions headed to Costa Rica. That's a blessing and it's difficult. Everything that having your child was a blessing, moms, and difficult. Raising them, blessing and difficult. Most anything that has weight will be both at the same time. Very few things are just only, if they, again, if they have that spiritual weight, are going to be only a blessing. There's going to be some difficulty that comes with it. And so will this news when she fully digests it and comprehends it. But the angel goes on, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. Uh, she kind of had an inkling. Look at verse 29. She, she was troubled at what she was troubled at saying, consider what kind of greeting was this? It's, uh, it's the proverbial, what comes next? I've got really good news for you. <laughs> what in the world am I about to hear? I don't think she could have even fathomed what she was about to hear. Could you imagine? What she's about to hear only happens once in all of eternity. One time in the history of all time and space, once this will ever happen one time, how could anyone possibly think, I'm pretty sure the angel's about to say, I'm going to carry the Son of God. But whatever the angel, the angel's something about the appearance, something about the way the angel said it, made her say, well, first of all, I would have said, this is odd seeing an angel. But she's more blown away by the manner of greeting and saying, whatever you're about to say, I'm a bit troubled. And so the angel says, we know that the angel understands her anxiety because what does the angel say back to her in verse 30? 
It says, when she was troubled, as a matter of fact, she doesn't really even say anything. You remember how many times Jesus actually read people's thoughts and would say, why are you thinking thus or so? But her disposition, whatever it is, the angel says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What you're about to hear, you're already a little troubled. What you're about to hear will be more troubling and exciting and back to troubling. Do not be afraid. You found grace with God. Remember, we've talked about grace many times here. Grace is not only what brings us to salvation, but it brings us through the Christian life. You'd never, you would not have made it here this morning were it not for grace. You wouldn't have had desire to come were it not for grace. You wouldn't have the desire to read your Bible tomorrow were it not for grace. You wouldn't have a desire to pray on Tuesday were it not for grace. Grace trains us, grace keeps us, grace is going to get us through. So she's going to receive grace in receiving the Savior, but she's also going to need God's grace to actually walk this out. Joseph's going to need a lot of grace. Because he's going to say, time out, hold on, I'm pretty sure that I'm the one betrothed to her. And last I checked, we have not kind of gone through the whole marital process. Grace is going to be needed all the way around. But this miracle, this miracle that the angel is, uh, is going to pronounce to her, she is told in verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Now we already know that it tells us back in verse 27 that she was a virgin betrothed to Joseph. This uh, Matthew actually quotes this word virgin as well. He quotes it from the Greek Septuagint. And Matthew makes it 100% clear. You'll actually hear some people debate. You'll, you'll actually hear this in the Jewish community. Uh, you know, when I was in Israel and I talked to Orthodox Jews face to face and we talk about things in the scriptures, um, the, many, in the, uh, many of the rabbis, of course, will say, uh, first of all, they don't put a whole lot of weight in the New Testament. They don't deny that much of the New Testament may be true from a historical perspective, but they also would say that much of it is probably not true, or if it is, it's, un, it's misunderstood. For example, many would tell you that this virgin means just young maiden or a young lady, which, by the way, can be the Hebrew rendering. So that's not inaccurate. It can mean, but it is definitive at times, and Matthew uses the definitive term from the Greek Septuagint that means 100% virgin. So Matthew makes it clear. You know, we talked about the harmony of the four Gospels. Each one, four legs of the stool. Each one strengthens the other. So all four in harmony. Matthew makes it clear that it can't be young maiden, although that can be a term at times. Matthew makes it clear it absolutely means virgin. That who is not. And of course, we know that the context of both Matthew and Luke explain that. The context itself makes it clear that Mary had not yet. Mary herself says, how can this be? I do not yet know a man. Well, if she was just saying young maiden, why would she even say that? So the context, and again, people will do anything not to believe the Bible. Napoleon said it well, people believe anything as long as it's not in the scriptures, right? And the fact that she says, how can this be? I've not, it further clears up that this does not mean young maiden. The miracle is then announced. Let's look at the Messiah. The miracle is announced. 
And you will conceive and bring forth in your womb a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Highest. And Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, that should help Mary feel a little better. You're going to be carrying a child. But the good news is your child is going to rule the universe. How's that for news? Not just the world, forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. None. And when we get to the song of Mary, or uh, whether she said it, sung it, we know that uh, she talks about that he will put down the thrones of the mighty. You know, Adolf Hitler thought that he would have a reign of a thousand years. Well, not him. He didn't think he'd live that long, but he thought his kingdom would last that long. Uh, of course, it didn't even last anywhere near that amount. What was it? Less than a decade that, uh, that it ended. But this kingdom will last forever, and the Lord is telling Mary, you will give birth to the one who will rule and reign for all time. Now, the word Messiah, or the title Messiah, is not actually mentioned here in Luke's gospel. Uh, But in Gabriel's prophetic description to Mary, the title is implied, and we have a clear picture of the title Jesus will hold by what Gabriel says. It would be like describing the following. In other words, what Gabriel, without saying the word Messiah, Gabriel describes the role or the title or position of Messiah. It would be like saying the following. Like me describing the following, but without mentioning the word president. He will be sworn into office for a four-year term in January as the highest office in the land. He will live and work at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He will be given Air Force One, veto power over congressional bills, and will give a State of the Union address once per year. Who am I speaking of? Right? In other words, this is what the angel Gabriel does. He describes the role definitively of Messiah. This is how Luke describes the Messiah. In verse 32, he will be great. He'll have the throne of of his father, David. Now, every, everyone that was Jewish in Israel looked forward to the one who would descend from David. David was considered the greatest king in all of Israel's history, even greater than Solomon. To this day, Jerusalem is called the city of David because David is the one that built it up. David is the one that took it and, and, and won the battle to actually consecrate the city. David is the king that made Israel the great nation it became. But all of Israel was looking forward to the one who would take the throne of David, and Jesus would be the one that would take that throne. He would be the Messiah. Now, he doesn't mention the title here in Luke, or Luke himself does not mention it. Uh, the Apostle John does mention the word Messiah uh, in John chapter 1, verse 41. You want to turn over there real quick, you can see where it appears in the first chapter of John, the word Messiah, <clears throat> John one forty one, 
And he first found his brother, his own brother Simon, who said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Now, if you know that, but every time you say Christ, you're saying Messiah. Every time you say Messiah, you're saying Christ. And so John actually specifically gives the title of Messiah. We'll come back to Messiah in just a couple of minutes. But the angel, although he describes the role of the office of Messiah, the first name he mentions, though, is in verse 31, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, By the way, the angel didn't actually say the name Jesus. Um, That would be an English word today. Gabriel was not speaking modern English when he spoke to Miriam. The name Jesus is our English language equivalent of Jesus' name in the Greek, which is Jesus, which is the Greek word. But then you have to take the Greek word and then go back, translate it from the original Hebrew. And Mary, of course, did not call her son by a Greek name or an English name. She would have called him by his Hebrew name, which was the name that Gabriel would have instructed. I don't know if you're familiar with the word etymology. Etymology, the study of word origins and how those words have changed and the meanings have changed over time or how the pronunciation of those uh, words have changed. And, you know, you understand that many of the words that we use today were not the same words even 100 years, much less 500, 2,000 years ago. And when you translate from one language into another language, another language, the word will change. Now, the meaning doesn't change. You can go back and we still have the same meaning, uh, but the word does change. The classical Hebrew word for Jesus would be Yehoshua. Yehoshua. And the late biblical Hebrew word, which is the word you'll hear in most Messianic Jewish churches, is Yeshua. Just Yeshua. Not Yehoshua, but Yeshua. You'll probably hear when when our brother Sam comes, he will refer to Christ as Messiah or Yeshua. That's the common name you'll hear in Messianic fellowships. Those are the two words that most uh, saved Jews prefer to use because those are the Hebrew names. Now then, if Jesus uh, or um, Jesus in the, uh, in the Greek, and if I said that wrong, if you're a Greek scholar, I apologize. Uh, I feel better. I, fe- I always feel better saying Hebrew words than I do Greek words. For me personally, I don't know why, Greek does not roll off my tongue. Uh, the Hebrew ones I feel better with for whatever reason, and I'm not quite sure why that is for me, but uh, the word Jesus or the name Jesus or Yeshua, it means the Lord is salvation. Now you have to go back to the book of Numbers when uh, Moses changed Joshua's name. His, Joshua's name really at first was not Joshua, it was Hosea. And Moses, after he sent the spies in the land, two of them were faithful. One was Joshua and one was Caleb. And Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, changed Joshua's name to Yahshua. Yah meaning God, Hosea meant salvation, but God is salvation became Joshua's name. He had a name change, and Jesus would bear the same name. God is 
salvation. There is no salvation. Jesus would later say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. God, Yahshua, Yahshua, me, I am the only way of salvation. There's no other way. Isn't that amazing? Well, what's incredible about this is if you, again, were a Jewish person, Mary would know exactly what that name meant as soon as she heard it. When the angel Gabriel says, you shall name him Yeshua, she would immediately, her mind, because in the Jewish, in the Jewish person world, all names meant something. Now, most of you probably know the meaning of your name, but when you hear people's name, you don't think in those terms, you think in the name. You don't think in the meaning of the name. In the Jewish realm, they would think in the meaning of the name. So when she would hear Yeshua, God is salvation. His name is God is salvation. That's what she hears. And this is what the name means. Now, Matthew also, in his gospel, and Matthew, we don't have time to turn to it, but in his gospel, Matthew gives us the, full, the fullness of the word. I'll read it to you. You know this verse probably from Matthew chapter 1. The fullness of the name, he adds additional context. In Matthew 1.21, it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. He gets even more descriptive. God is salvation, but Matthew says, let me, let me explain, it's salvation from sin. This is very important because the people would want salvation, but they didn't really want it from sin, they wanted it from Caesar. The fullness of the name Yeshua is salvation from sin. Your only problem being born is sin. Everything else is secondary. Amen? Everything else is secondary. If you didn't have sin, if you were sinless, you'd be in great shape. But the fact is, no one is sinless, so that is a problem of immovable proportions. And so his name would not mean just God is salvation, but salvation from sin. Matthew gives us the fullness of the name. He also is given another name not mentioned here, but Matthew mentions it. And we want to touch on each of them for just a moment. He is given the name that was prophetically given in the book of Isaiah. And we find it in the 23rd verse in Matthew chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Notice that Matthew actually speaks both the name and the meaning as if you could say them either way. Emmanuel or call him God with us. Because around, again, in the Jewish realm, the name means something. It's not just Emmanuel, it means God with us. And of course, that was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin back in Isaiah 7:14. That prophecy was given by the prophet Isaiah, born of a virgin, but his name would be Emmanuel. So we've got a couple of names here for Jesus that he will bear. He'll be Yeshua. He'll be Emmanuel. John gives us another one in the first chapter of John. The reason why I'm bringing each of these out, because they're all in the first chapters of the Gospels. John gives us another one. He gave us Messiah. You have Messiah, 
you have Emmanuel, you have Yeshua, and then John gives us a fourth when he recites from John the Baptist is looking at Jesus coming his way, he says, behold the Lamb of God. The fourth of the names mentioned in either John 1, Luke 1, or Matthew 1. What do you do with four names like that? Well, we'll get there, but you end up bowing down, won't you? You can see why the wise men, why the shepherds, why Mary, why anyone that came in contact with him that was trying to live for God could do nothing but worship. When you realize that Yeshua, Emmanuel, Messiah, Lamb of God, is in your presence. And in Mary's case, not just in her presence, but would be in her body. The Messiah. As I mentioned, Luke does not use the name Messiah, but does a great description of the role of Messiah. John, of course, mentions it. Some of your translations, by the way, in Matthew 1, in the lineage there listed in Matthew 1, some of your translations will say Messiah, some will say Christ, depending on which versions of the Bible you use. I have the New King James, which does not say Messiah. In, uh, in Matthew 1, it will, say, it will say Christ. But again, Christ and Messiah are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. It would be like you can say dad or father. They mean the same thing. But they're just two words for the same exact thing. Mom or mommy, same thing. Different way of saying it. Luke, uh, Luke uses the description or gives the description. And again, he doesn't just give it. He's just giving Gabriel's description. Gabriel says this will be his kingdom. This is what he will do. But he will be great. He will be great when you think of that passage. And you think of Isaiah chapter 9, another prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 9, 6, we know this one as well. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. That is a messianic role right there. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful. That's equivalent to Great. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. His kingdom will be an everlasting one, as Gabriel says here. Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David. Gabriel mentions that as well. Gabriel seems to know Isaiah 9, 6 as well. And he says, over his kingdom to establish it with judgment and justice, and from that time forward, even forever. Same connotation. The Messiah would be the one who would hold the title of God, King, Prince. He would hold all the authority all the power, and not just for a period of time, all kings in world history have fallen at some time. They've all died and gone to the grave. But Isaiah prophesies, and Gabriel tells Mary, your king will never end. Once he sets up his throne, it's over for all other kings. He'll later bear a name called King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Messiah. He will be great. The Greek word here is Messias. Messias. In the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, those of you that attend our church, I use that term a lot. The Tanakh is the Old Testament that is Genesis through Malachi. 
The Tanakh is only thing, the only thing accepted by a Jewish rabbi that's not a believer is the Tanakh. They don't accept the New Testament. That's why, again, if you want to witness to unsaved Jews, call it the Tanakh and you won't lose them. Call it the Old Testament and you've got a problem because they know that you're inferring that there's a new one. Call it the Tanakh and you can have a nice discussion until things get hairy. <laughs> until you introduce Isaiah 53 and other passages. But nevertheless, the Tanakh, we find the word Messiah as well. And Messiah, Messiah in the Hebrew, doesn't change as much from Hebrew to Greek. Uh, but in Jewish eschatology, this came to refer to a future Jewish king. The Messiah was to be a future Jewish king, and he had to be of the Davidic line. This was common to every priest, every rabbi. If you were going to use the word Messiah, it was common that the Messiah, not a Messiah, because there were also little a Messiahs as well. Who would that be? Um, anyone that was anointed with oil, a priest, a prophet, or a king, was a Messiah. But the Messiah had to be of the Davidic line, and he was the future king to come that they all looked forward to. But Messiah was a title that could apply to Solomon, that could apply to Samuel, that could apply to Moses, Aaron, anyone that was anointed with the oil and had the position of prophet, priest, or king was a Messiah, but there would only be one, the Messiah. And so Jesus prophesied of in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, um, he would be, again, the word, the essence of the word means anointed. That's why the oil was used for anointing. He would be anointed to be king of kings. He would be anointed to rule forever over the household of David and, in fact, the world and, in fact, the universe. He would usher in the messianic age, but also the eternal age, and he would sit forever on his throne. As I mentioned, this is inclusive of those other roles. But interestingly enough, Jesus fulfilled all those other roles as well, didn't he? Scriptures say he would be raised up a prophet like unto Moses. Jesus was the prophet. He was also our high priest and is our high priest, right? He's the one that tore the temple veil and makes a way for us. He is of the order of Melchizedek. He is the high priest. So he's the prophet. He is the priest, but he's also the king greater than David, so he fulfills all the other qualified roles for an anointing. Isn't that interesting? Only the title of Messiah could be given to those that were prophets, priests, or kings, and he fulfilled all of those roles, every single one of them. But he also is the Savior. See, other kings, other prophets other priests, they could speak of the Savior, but they weren't the Savior. Moses said, one day someone will rise up and him you'll hear. If you don't hear him, you'll be utterly destroyed. Paul would say it this way, at the feet of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee, every single knee will someday say, you are the Messiah. And they'll understand what the word means. 
The world that likes to use his name as a curse word will understand what Messiah actually means because they like to use the word Christ, but they have no idea they're saying the word Messiah. Do they? They don't. They don't know. When they say the word Christ, they're saying Messiah. When they say Messiah, they're saying prophet, priest, king, savior. Matter of fact, Jesus goes one more step that no other Messiah would ever fulfill because he wasn't just anointed to be the prophet, to be the priest, to be the king, but he was actually anointed to be the actual sacrifice. The sacrifices were anointed as well, though they wouldn't be called Messiah. They were anointed with the same oil. The utensils in the temple, for example, were, were, uh, were anointed. But Jesus, remember, just prior to his death, he was anointed with oil, and he said, this woman has done me a great, she has anointed me for burial. He was anointed not just to take the throne, but first be the sacrifice. So in essence, Messiah is inclusive of all of who Jesus is. Isn't that wonderful? That when you say Messiah, you're really including all of the roles of Jesus in a single term. Yeshua, Messiah, Emmanuel, Lamb of God. No one but Him can own those names. Amen? A name written upon Him that will be King of kings and Lord of lords. No one else can take up the throne of David but Jesus. You know, Daniel also uses this name. And another reason why I think it's very clear that Messiah is inclusive of all of Jesus' terms all of Jesus' roles. Because when Daniel mentions Messiah and the word, he uses the same word Messiah in the Hebrew that John would use in uh, John chapter 1 in the Greek. Daniel 9, 26, it says, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now, he could have used the lamb will be cut off, but he says Messiah will be cut off. In other words, this king comes first to die. Because that was infuriating to many Jewish people's minds. They did not want a king that was going to die. They wanted a king that was going to rule. But as Sam Nadler said so well when he was here with us, I'll never forget the message he did on the Lamb of God. He goes, but the problem is you need a lion, not a, you need a lamb, not a lion. And so this king has to come on a lowly donkey first time to lay down his life. A king that becomes a lamb as opposed to when he comes a second time, the king becomes the roaring lion, comes back to tear his prey into pieces, those that say, we reject you, we refuse you. We're not. Mary speaks of that, doesn't she? She talks about casting down those with the vain imaginations. We need to move on. This great name, Mary receives this. She says, how can this be? I don't know a man. The Holy Spirit says, look, all the, titles of, all the titles of the Son of God will be residing in you, but don't worry. You're not going to have to change anything. You will still stay betrothed unto Joseph. Everything will stay exactly the way it is. Joseph and you will not be together as husband and wife until this is fulfilled. The Holy Spirit will place the Son of God in you. I don't know about you, but that's not a hard thing for me to believe as a Christian. I mean, any God that speaks a universe into existence, as Billy Graham has said for years, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you're going to have no trouble with the rest of the Bible. 
in the beginning God. God can do anything He wants to do, and although He only did this one one time, it's pretty easy for Him, isn't it? All the Holy Spirit has to say is, done. That's it. Mary's left dealing with, all right, Lord, now what do I do? The angel Gabriel says, the Holy One will overshadow you. He'll be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. So, in other words, the angel says, just to cheer you up, your relative also is going through a somewhat difficult time. She's having to explain to people how she's pregnant at an old age. You get to explain to people how you're pregnant and never known a man. So the two of you get to do this together. I'm giving you a team. God sends us a lot of times two by twos. I'm giving you someone that can comfort you and you can comfort each other. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Not the baby that's in you, not God getting you through this without being stoned to death, which would have been something that would certainly be a possibility in the Jewish context because of the fact that if everyone assumed, hold on a second, you're betrothed to be married, you said you've not been with Joseph, you're pregnant, you've committed adultery, you should be stoned. That's a very troubling thing to hear. But the angel says nothing will be impossible. In other words, any of the things that you think could go wrong actually won't. Because God will actually make a way for all this to come to pass. God has to make the way because Jesus must come forth. Amen? So the angel says, don't worry. Nothing's impossible with God. This will all get ironed out. Joseph will be cleared of any wrongdoing. You'll be cleared of any wrongdoing. But you're probably going to have to endure some whispers, some statements, and issues that are not going to be easy. So why don't you go spend a little time with Elizabeth and get some encouragement. Let's look at the ministers here. So Mary heads, behold, and by the way, Mary's response, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, which by the way, that word maidservant means servant girl. That's what Mary calls herself of God. Behold God's servant girl. Let it be to me according to the word. In other words, my knees are shaking. I'm still a little troubled. I am amazed. I'm thrilled that my Lord, my Lord is coming to me but I'll trust your word. Are you willing to trust God at his word? Are you willing to hear what he says for you to do and say, I don't have the strength to do it, I don't have the ability to do it, I don't have the know-how to do it, but Lord, I'll proceed forward anyway, and you'll show how this is done. Let's look at the ministers. We've got to move quickly, verses 39 through 45. I'm not going to reread that section, but what takes place here is Mary heads to the hill country of Judea, somewhere outside of Jerusalem, and and again, uh, if you go to Israel, uh, that hill country is beautiful at, at, at that part of Israel, very green, very lush, um, more, so than, uh, more so than other parts like the Judean desert, of course, is, is bone dry. But that part is a uh, nice hill country, and there's sheep grazing, and there's little areas of patches of forest, and uh, wherever they lived in that area, in the Judean hill country area, uh, was a place that uh, Mary was obviously familiar with. They were relatives. Uh, they were relatives probably on uh, Mary's mother's side. But she got, because obviously we know that uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they are of the household of Aaron, and Mary's of the household of Judah. So they're from two different tribes. But on the mother's side, 
you could have uh, the, the mother side, you could actually have the Aaronic uh, line uh, mixing with the uh, tribe or the line of Judah. But she goes, and they are relatives of some description. We don't know exactly what, but she goes and makes haste and heads there and enters into their house. And really, it's a time for her to be ministered to and, and have a safe haven for a period of time. Isn't it great when God puts people in your life who minister to you? When God puts people in your life who minister to you. And they welcome you with open arms. And they actually encourage you and build you up. And you can actually trust them. Because that's not everybody. Not everybody's trustworthy. Not everybody will build you up. Some people will tear you down. Some people will drag you down. Some people when they enter the room just bum you out. But Zacharias and Elizabeth, we know by the testimony of them earlier in Luke that they were the kind of people that you'd want to be around. They were godly. They were full of joy. They would look at things from a spiritual perspective. Well, I know this seems troubling, but why? And on the other hand, God has chosen you. They're people that reflect Christ in their love and their words. These are the ministers of the Lord. Now, though Zacharias was a priest, Elizabeth was not a priest. We know that she was the wife of a priest, but she wasn't a priest. So I'm not speaking of ministers in the terminology that many would think of, like pastors or ministers, clergy, reverends, that type of role. But I'm referring to the role of all believers as ministers. All believers are called to be ministers, those who minister to help the needs of other people. The Lord would have us all mature to the place of being ministers one to another and absolutely to a lost and unsaved world as well. That we would mature, that we'd be ministering to other people. F.B. Meyer said, Let each of us learn to abide in Christ with the heart open to Him on the one hand and open to men, women, and children on the other. We would always have that open heart to people, to minister to them. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That we would minister with the ability that God supplies. And this is, again, that spiritual gifting that God gives us that we can't minister our own strength. Many of you, if you've been saved any length of time, you have many times been asked by God to go do something when you had no energy, no strength, got the call at the wrong time, which you thought was the wrong time, right? Wrong week, wrong day, I'm exhausted, Lord, and God says, now's the time to go minister. That's when you need the ministry power of the Holy Spirit, amen? It comes from somewhere in heaven, not in you. And this is what a Zacharias and Elizabeth. I mean, how do, you really, how do you really minister to someone who's carrying God's Son that's only going to happen once in all of history? You let the Holy Spirit help and lead and do the ministry work through you. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Jesus Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation which uh, the Greek term there, it means the restoration of the favor of God to sinners that repent. We minister that news to people. We minister that they can be reconciled. We become ministers of reconciliation in every way. Marriages, 
lives shattered, all things. We're ministering to people who are broken and falling, or sometimes just weary, or sometimes like Mary, just, I need to hang out with you guys for a little while. This is a heavy, heavy bit of, I'm, I'm excited about it, but it's also too heavy for me. And someone that we're told, you know, we're told to bear each other's burdens, to do it together, to do that together, to have fellowship one with another. And you can see Elizabeth uh, is, is quite the encourager. She says to her in verse 42, now in verse 40, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I, I got to go back one second. Look at verse 41. You can't miss. And the babe leaped in her womb. She's carrying John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we're told, was filled immediately with the Holy Spirit. Why God did that, how God did that, again, you can ask him when you get to heaven. He does it at times. Some of the prophets in the Old Testament were the same thing. Apparently Moses was loved by God as a baby. Put him in a basket, I have a special calling, and he will not get away with it. He's going to fulfill it. Same with John the Baptist. But John the Baptist is inside of Mary. Mary's walking up to the place in the Judean hill country. She gets somewhat near, and John the Baptist starts having a worship service inside of Elizabeth. Isn't that cool? John the Baptist breaks out into worship inside as a baby. He said, just again, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, Mary's voice, the Holy Spirit told John, the Messiah is coming up the way. He starts worshiping inside of, she's filled with the whole, immediately Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she begins to speak. And notice when, you, when you're a minister, when you're someone that ministers to people, she speaks these words of encouragement. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary's like, boy, did I need to hear that. Because I've been worried the whole way here, who's going to see me pregnant that knows I shouldn't be pregnant? Or know or find out? Or what, how is this going to go? No, blessed are you. But why, and Elizabeth even says, Elizabeth even in her humility says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should even come to me? The fact that I even get to see you in, in this pregnancy, knowing that the Messiah is in you. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And you no doubt, this time was a time of refreshing that uh, Mary was ministered to and able to go back and return, strengthened by others. Uh, again, are you someone that strengthens the body of Christ? Are you someone that ministers? Are you someone that speaks from the Holy Spirit, or do you speak from the flesh? We want to have our words be as the oracles of God. And then we close here with Mary's response to all of this. After she hears this incredible news, after she recognizes the miracle that's in her, after she recognizes the fact that the Messiah is inside of her, after she's ministered to by Elizabeth and Zechariah, after she begins to absorb it all, and sometimes you have to meditate long enough to have God give you the full picture of something. Amen? But once you do and you finally get your arms around it, you can respond as Mary does, you can marvel. You can marvel. It's a lot better to marvel 
than to worry, isn't it? It's a lot better to praise than to procrastinate. It's a lot better to lift up our voice to the Lord in thanksgiving than it is to whine and complain. It's a lot better to meditate on what we do know until we later understand that what we don't know. As a believer, this is one I was mentioning to some men the other day. In the book of John, John mentions the word believe over 100 times. Why? Because if you don't constantly remind yourself what you believe in, you won't worship. You'll wander away from the Lord. But Mary wants to soak it in. She wants to meditate on what God is doing, and she begins to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Her son would be her Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his servant girl or maid servant. She goes on, and Mary just marvels at her Lord and Savior, his mercy, his salvation, his use of her as an instrument of grace, his faithfulness, his greatness. Notice it's all about him. Those that actually worship Mary today, Mary would be the first to correct them. You don't worship Mary. She was a recipient of grace, not a dispenser of grace. And she would be the first to no, know. No. Matter of fact, we, we get a great picture of this. I love it. Jesus' first miracle. She comes and says, hey, 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 hold on. Whatever he says, do, do it. Whatever he says to do, do it. I love that Jesus even speaks to her, even though he's, woman, my hour, my hour has not yet come. She's not offended by that. Why? Because he's above her. He's the king of kings. But she marvels, and she sees all the greatness of the Lord. Do you marvel at what God has done for you and in you? Do you marvel at it, or is it old news now to you? Well, I used to marvel at it. Now it's not such a big deal. Now the new series that's coming out in February is a much bigger deal. Sad, when this is, we're talking about the creator of heaven and earth, and he chose you, and he saved you, and he chose me, and he saved me, and we had uh, nothing but his grace involved in it. But Mary, she humbly refers to herself and her lowly state, and she begins to, uh, she begins to ascribe to God the glory due his name. And you know, that's something I uh, looked at here, and I'll, I'll read to you. When you take Gabriel's heavenly witness, and you take Mary's praise or song, or prayer of praise or song here, and you kind of combine them to, together, listen to the glorious sequence and the pure revelation of Jesus Christ when you read them together. I, I kind of words, uh, took the words and just kind of blend them back to back so you see Gabriel's testimony and Mary's praise, and you put them together, and this is what you get. A son, and call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called son of the highest. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The highest will overshadow you. That Holy One will be called the Son of God. For with God nothing will be impossible. God my Savior, he is regarded. He who is, done is, uh, he who is mighty is done. Holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him. He has shown strength. 
He has scattered. He has put down and exalted. He has filled. He has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. That's the testimony of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, did you notice that Gabriel mentions the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, by the way, all three. The testimony, these three bear witness, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that this is Messiah, this is the Lamb of God, this is the Son of God. Mary, start bowing down. John the Baptist inside the, inside the womb, start worshiping. Anyone that came in contact with this news, shepherds, when we get there, bow down. Everyone would bow down and worship if they understood. Even you, if you had understood, Jesus said, the things that make peace for you, the Messiah. As we close, two things written here by Luke under the guidance of the Spirit, uh, or all the things, I should say, all the things written here by Luke under the guidance of the Holy Spirit should do two things to your faith and my faith. All that's written here should do two things to your faith and my faith. Number one, it's found back in uh, chapter, uh, uh, verse 4, which we covered last week. Go back real quickly, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 that we covered last week. Two things that Luke's testimony should do for us. Back in verse 4, that ye may know with certainty the things in which you were instructed. Number one, it should strengthen your faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You should know with certainty, absolute certainty, that everything that Jesus said in His Word is true. Absolutely happened exactly the way the Scriptures have told and every prophecy that was prophesied, when you understand and you study the Greek and you study the Hebrew and you look at all the prophecies, you should know that there is no way the mathematical possibility of all these things coming together is outside of any possibility of error. It's a hundred, that Luke said you'll know with certainty. You might not be certain if you're alive tomorrow, but you'll know this is true. You might not be certain what you're having for lunch. You might think the roast is going to work out when you get home. It might not. But you'll know with certainty that these things did take place and the rest will take place. The second thing is found in verse 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced. When your faith is strong, you'll worship. When you believe in the Son of God, you'll bow before the Son of God. If you don't believe in the Son of God, you may use His name as a swear word. You may ignore Him. You may think, I've got better things to do. But when you believe, when you truly believe, it'll change your life and you'll be a worshiper. The Spirit, Jesus said, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said that in John 4 to the woman at the well. Our faith should be strengthened and our spirit should marvel of what Jesus Christ has come, accomplished, and done. Amen?